Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me on the Bio Breakthroughs podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is Javier Schwartberg, the CEO at Spruce Biosciences. Javier, how are you today? Great, Jared. Thank you for having me today. It's great to see you again. Saw you at uh, Bio uh, a while back now, kind of, uh, and it's great to reconnect. Yeah, it was really my pleasure. Thank you for having me with the uh, podcast and uh, happy to answer any questions you have about Spruce or myself. Well, let's, let's dive right in. So for our audience, tell us a little bit about your background and then what led you to Spruce from there? Sure. So I'm a physician. I trained in pulmonary and critical care. I wanted to do more research um, and really started uh, my work in, in industry at a company that no longer exists called Aventus. Uh, we got acquired by Sanofi and one thing led to the next. I wanted to stay in rare diseases. I had spent... Uh, you know, my clinical time when I was a physician in IPF, in idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and then joined, uh, joined Intramune, had spent time at Gilead, had spent time at Horizon Therapeutics, um, later on went to Biomarin, sorry, to Ultragenics and then to Biomarin, all of which are, you know, rare disease companies. Frankly, um, that's where my interest lies in, in addressing the unmet need of patients that typically don't get um, the right attention, disease states that don't get the right, um, just the right emphasis, right? And uh, and and where, where where the suffering is very palpable, where where um, I slowly over time revolve into more of a pediatric uh, type of diseases. I've learned a lot at Ultragenics and Biomarine about gene therapies and and uh, advanced therapeutics, including RNA therapeutics and in biologics and um, and what attracted me to spruce was, you know, this was a, uh, it was a challenging disease, uh, uh, a company that really I thought would have uh, benefited from my background, which has been primarily around drug development. I've touched a number of drugs and developed them and got them through approval in HIV and in IPF and pulmonary hypertension and other diseases. Um, I like the fact that the disease had a very, very um, strong unmet need, particularly in pediatrics. Uh, we've expanded our development now to include uh, pediatrics and hope to, you know, align our efforts so that we, at the time of, of, of approval, tildacifon, which is the asset that we're developing for CAH, will be available for both adult and peds. Can you shed more light on uh, CAH and what that treatment landscape, you know, where things are at thus far? Yeah, so CH is um is a congenital disease, is an autosomal recessive disease. So both parents pass on this this abnormal allele, and um, that leads to an inefficiency or inability of the body to make enough enzyme. It's called twenty one hydroxylase. That enzyme is foundational for the conversion of metabolites and, and byproducts into cortisol and aldosterone. When you're lacking cortisol and aldosterone in a profound way you have an inability to respond to stress. So ch children, you know, newborns uh, would, would die from, from, from CH uh, at a very young age upon being, you know, exposed to any type of stress or infection, dehydration, heat, trauma, surgery. So with the advent of steroids in the late 50s, early 60s, synthetic steroids, um, the lifespan of those children changed dramatically. And, 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 you know, at the very beginning, they would live no more than a year or two. And 
with the advent of these new drugs, they, they, their lifespan approached uh, normal, normal lifespans. But um, as you know, steroids don't come free of side effects. And in order to supplement what's, what's missing, you need to give physiologic doses of steroids. CH is a disease that, you know, is characterized by elevated levels of androgens by the adrenals because of the byproducts, um, they accumulate. And when they accumulate, they go into the path where you have enough enzymes. And, and those enzymes typically are uh, in the adrenal are enzymes that lead to androgen production. So they have a lot of androgen circulating. And the, the role of steroids, uh, as I was saying, is, is a dual role, is to provide physiologic, uh, you know, to support physiologically body functions, but also to, to suppress the uh, pituitary drive into the adrenal. And, and through that suppression, you need to give supraphysiologic above what the body needs. You need to provide excess, and that excess leads to side effects over time. So the whole premise around the therapeutic that we're developing is to inhibit the pituitary release of hormones that are going to be resulting in hyperandrogenemia. So we're not, we're not a, a serotal therapy. Uh, Tildastrophon uh, is a CRF1 corticotropin-releasing factor, one receptor antagonist that uh, is a non-steroidal agent. So the patient will still need to take a little bit of steroids to, su to supplement uh, what's missing um, and allow for body physiology to still function. But, but that supraphysiologic, that excess steroid uh, will no longer be needed. So, and that's that's a steroid that actually leads to side effects over time, right? So, hopefully, over time, we'll be showing profound effects on, you know, risk of diabetes, um, hyperlipidemia, cardiovascular risk, effects on bones, and and all that stuff. So, talk me through how your approach to CIH, like how it differs from the other clinical agents that are currently in development thus far. And then, I guess, part two of that is you mentioned it a little bit already, but what type of results have you seen thus far? Yeah, so, you, you know, the CRF1 receptor antagonist, which is what tildastrophon is about, um, has only one other agent in that class. I believe it's probably the best and, and, and likely to be most effective class uh, of agents that are emerging as alternatives to steroids. Um, um, w one of our competitors has a similar compound that was developed by another large pharma for depression and anxiety, just like Tildastrophon. Theirs is a first generation, ours is a second generation compound. Um, they are a little bit more advanced than us in development. They will be releasing data towards the end of the year. And we believe that there's gonna be significant read through between their data set and our data set. Um, another company is developing gene therapy for this disease, this being a enzymatic deficiency, gene therapy, and a, and a monogenic disease. For the most part, for most patients, there's a, there's a single mutation, as I said, in a single gene called CYP21A2 that leads to this 21 hydroxylase deficiency. Uh, gene therapy probably will be challenging, right? I mean, it's, it's usually, um, this is a pediatric disease, so you'll have to treat kids that are probably 12 or older uh, because liver is generally immature at younger ages. It can only be administered once. It's an AV5 gene therapy, which leads to typically immunogenicity and, and cannot be administered twice. Um, there's usually innate immunity that gets activated after uh, 
after gene therapy, and that will require significant and strong immunosuppression, um, which is a problem because immunosuppression typically involves steroids, and you don't want to use extra steroids in a patient that has been taking steroids for a very long time. Um, then a number of other things, right? Durability is usually a problem with gene therapy, this being a lifelong disease. How long will the disease last? And will patients be covered for life or not? And, you know, what happens if the enzyme activity goes down and, and the patient develops a toxicity or uh, not a toxicity, a, 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 you know, surgery or a complication that requires more cortisol? I mean, how, how will they deal with that? Um, Another therapy that's also in development, earlier in development, is a blockade of the factor that's released by the pituitary at the level of the adrenal gland. Um, again, uh, you know, it's in early development. Uh, it's a very potent compound. Typically, when you block at the end organ level, you achieve a much deeper suppression uh, of the adrenal. And that could actually lead to a number of complications and an inability of the adrenal and the body to rescue the little cortisol the adrenal makes. So, um, I mean, you know, the other therapies are, uh, are in my mind, a little imperfect. Uh, but it's, it's frankly great to see that there is movement, there is interest, and that, you know, patients will have, hopefully, at the end of the day, more than one option, which is... Uh, what really drives me to develop this therapeutics, right? Provide patient choice and, and uh, give, them with, uh, give them opportunities to address their disease, patients and families. And in terms of, we always like to talk about future outlook here, right? Where do you th see things changing over the next five to 10 years uh, in regards to these treatments and, and these patients? I think there's going to be over time, and upon upon one of these agents being approved, uh, realization of the unmet need, particularly in adult patients, right? They go through life, they think they know what their disease is about, um, what the complications are. They feel better than anyone else uh, in terms of knowing how to manage their disease, and and uh, I think it's it's become it's become clear through research that. The uh, complications of uh, steroids are are very evident. I mean, we we are we will be continuing to publish, and I'm sure all the other companies doing research in the space will actually highlight the uh, the complications long term of steroid use, um, and not just in CH, right? I mean, that's kind of well known in a number of rheumatologic diseases, uh, um, oncological diseases, and other type of. Um, immunological diseases where large doses of steroids are needed for a long time. Um, so I think that, you know, when, when the first agent comes in, that typically leads to uh, a more intense market interest. You know, investors become more, more, um, more enticed with the opportunity. I mean, it happened, I'll give you one example. When I was developing uh, Prefenidone for IPF, um, the market um, frankly opened up and uh, Berger Ingelheim developing Intetinib, Intermune was developing Prefenidone acquired by, by, by Roche. Uh, and now there's, there's a, there are a myriad of companies doing research in IPF. Same story with um, HAE, um, you know, and, and a number of other diseases. I mean, uh, uh, Solaris faced, you know, all of the complement innovation companies. I mean, so there are a number of stories where 
you know, there's, there are no therapeutics, the or the therapeutics that are available are suboptimal. And then, and then, you know, research starts and that leads to a lot of, uh, interest. I also believe that guidelines are going to be updated. Uh, and when guidelines are updated, typically payers become more in tune with, um, with, with the products, right. And they become more available. So our, our intent is frankly to have a global outreach. Um, we, we either ourselves or through partnerships, uh, will attempt to make tildastrophone as reachable as possible, uh, throughout the globe. And, uh, yeah, to address the unmet need of patients and families with CH. And, and Javier, what, what's next for, for Spruce and, you know, are there any key clinical updates that we can expect by the end of this year? Yeah, we have two programs. As I said, we've been talking about CH, but we also have a program that's earlier in development is a proof of concept trial for polycystic ovary syndrome, also using tildastrophon. Um, so that program will read out in the middle of uh, Q3 uh, in the next few weeks. After that, we'll have a data readout in pediatrics. Uh, we'll be uh, releasing uh, top-line data in uh, adolescent patients through 12 weeks of treatment, which is, frankly, um, a fairly long time relative to other clinical programs. Um, our competitor has released data in adolescent patients, but only through the first four weeks. So that's going to give us clinical data on whether we can reduce steroids in adolescent patients, and that's going to come towards the end of the year. Uh, we also have a program in adults, uh, one of our two clinical studies in adult patients called our 203 study, the Camellia program. We are um, slanted to have data towards the end of the year as well. Uh, and also, you know, more data coming uh, in the early part of uh, 2024, uh, in the very early part of 2024 through, uh, you know, the, 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 the younger patients in, in uh, ages 2 to 10 in our pediatric program, as well as our second study in, in CH, uh, which is a study where we'll be able to hopefully confirm that we can reduce steroids in this patient population. So a number of data readouts, we're very interested and very um, jazzed about what's what's coming for, for Spruce. Well, I'm really excited to continue to stay up to date with you and to, to stay on top of these updates. So I really look forward to hearing more. And again, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the Bowel Breakthroughs podcast to talk about your background, give us an update on where things are at for Spruce. And I already look forward to having you back on again real soon. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you for all of your audience. And uh, I commend for the work you do and disseminate the good word and, uh, and highlight, uh, you know, all of the areas of interest that you've touched through your podcast. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm.